Friends, we just released version three of the app. It's huge for me and I hope that it's huge for you. We have made it easier to find community on the app, something we care deeply about and will actually continue to build on into the future uh, with upgrades this month. Um, a lot of new upgrades are coming to the community space, so um, keep looking for those upgrades in the App Store if you don't just get the automatic update overnight. Um, we've also added a premium button that allows you to access all of the app's curated content as a member, and some of that curated content is new. So one of the things that we're offering is Pass the Salt, something that I hope you were listening to this past week. Um, if you want to continue listening to it, just become a member, subscribe, and you can listen to it for free. Um, in the app. Um, you can become a member by subscribing for $4.99 and I hope you will because it means that me and my small crew get to make, get to keep making the magic week after week. And now let's hear it from our sponsors. Are you looking for progressive faith resources that value wonder and doubts, wrestle with hard questions, and are creative, engaging, and fun? Illustrated Ministry creates fresh and modern resources for the church and home. You can get free samples of their resources by going to illustratedministry.com slash our Bible app. That's illustratedministry.com slash our Bible app, and you can immediately start to download some of their really cool coloring sheets, all kinds of stuff. I know you're going to love it because I love it too. So go to illustratedministry.com slash our Bible app and check it out. listening to Lord Have Mercy, I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham. Trey Pearson is an out Christian who also happens to be a world-famous musician. His career started with Everyday Sunday, and since then he's written and recorded 20 top 10 hits and five number one U.S. singles. When he did come out, it rocked his world, and so he's here to tell you his personal story and how the music industry has affected the way he evolved, both as an artist and as a gay man. Trey actually performed the concert at my house in Philadelphia, and I just need you to know he's just as stunning in person as he is on iTunes. Beautiful person, beautiful storyteller. I love his music. I hope you'll take a moment to listen to his single after the interview, but for now, let's, uh, let's hear from Trey. It was a special time to have you come to Philly and do um, a concert at my home, which is so amazing. And um, yeah, not only thank did you, you, it was fun. It was fun. It was adorable. I mean, it was a really sweet night. And um, not only did you sing, but you got to talk a lot about your life and how, you know, music has informed your journey. And I think I would love to know more about, yeah, what what brought you what brought you to music. Um, and how, you know, that whole journey has played a role in your coming out process. Mm. Yeah, well, I started out, I guess, you know, as a kid, music-wise, I think, um, was very into just, you know, my parents' record collection in the basement and oh, cool. loved, you know, busting out the um, Michael Jackson albums to the, you know, okay. gosh, I, you know. Uh, Queen and any of the like John Hughes soundtracks, like just loved 
Billy Joel, all this stuff. And as I got older, super Christian home, uh, but we were not as evangelical of the type that, um, that was like super in the CCM, uh, bubble for like anyone that doesn't know that is like contemporary Christian music. Like, uh, I don't think my parents really knew much about that. Uh, cause we went to this small Calvinist church and like Calvinism is a, a bit of its own oddball for people that don't understand, you know, know much about it. It's this kind of idea of predestination. And, uh, and so you believe people are like chosen before the beginning of time, which sounds great if you're chosen, but you know, it's like, you believe that the, that God has children and the devil has children. And for some reason, God lets the devil have children. I'm not really sure why, uh, right? but, uh, you know, these people that are born of the devil, they have no chance of being saved. They're only born to grow up and never believe in God or believe the right thing. And then burn for hell and eternity. Cause somehow that brings, you know, uh, I don't know, justice or <laughs> somehow that's good for God. I don't, I don't, it was very, uh, confusing childhood when it came to that stuff. But I also, you know, I wanted to understand that the older I was getting into adolescence and stuff, but I also, um, you know, grew up with this very basic belief of most kids in the church that Jesus loves all the little children of the world. And, you know, when I was like 11, I found out he only loves some of them. You know? Right. And, uh, uh, but, you know, so I, I think I had conf- conflicting understandings of of my faith constantly throughout my childhood. And then um, with that, I also got involved in theater downtown Columbus, uh, kind of professional theater where, you know, I get into these plays and musicals and, and I loved it. I, so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I really got this like kind of passion for being on stage in front of people, and I really, I really just enjoyed the acting, and I, I started to enjoy the singing more. Uh, got more confident that like figuring out I was a decent singer uh, through through that process of doing these musicals. You know, probably starting at like I don't know, I'd say eleven, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and then by the time I w- so I was doing that for years, and then when I was fourteen, almost fifteen. I got invited to this mega church youth group that was a lot more evangelical, a lot more, um, you know, we got to reach everybody, found out about Christian rock music. And that's like when DC talk was like coming out with welcome to the freak show or, uh, uh, Jesus freak. And their, Jesus their tour freak. was called, I don't really called, care if they label me yes, Jesus freak. Yeah. <laughs> and their tour was called welcome to the freak show. And, and so I just found out about this whole world that, I never really knew much about. I'd heard of DC Talk because I remember in middle school, my oldest sister's friend gave her a uh, cassette tape of uh, Free at Last, which was the album before that. And uh, yeah. had like, Jesus is still all right with me. And, you know, I don't want your sex for now. And, what? Like, you know, well, what's very so, interesting. What's so interesting Platinum. about... Yeah, what's so interesting was, about that music is that, like, it had no doctrine in it. So... It was just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, I'm the chosen one and you're not. So you're a, a <laughs> child of the devil. You know, like there was no doctrine yeah. in it. So it just made it so easy to just like pick up and, you know, start jamming Yeah, out. yeah, absolutely. And so I kind of got 
got real involved in like you know like finding out even like the more christian rock i guess like mxpx and punk bands that influenced me too and um you know just i love the whole gamut like the you know i just was very intrigued there's all these bands that have the same faith as me or at least i thought they did and you know supposedly they were this very similar thing of course you get older and you find out how much different people think uh that they're not allowed to ever show publicly because it'll ruin their fan base and that sort of describes the christian music and this i was was a young naive teenager that loved this and i also kind of taught myself how to play chords on a piano uh growing up and somebody showed me how to figure out all the chords and uh and so having this love for performing as i got into this youth group there were these kids that would write songs and play them for the youth group and I thought, oh, that's cool. I should do that. And so I wrote, I started writing some songs and I put, I found people that could play all the instruments. I was like, ah, I'm going to make a band. And so I made a rock band. And, you know, as I was turning uh, 16, I named the band Everyday Sunday. And, and, um, you know, real long story short, uh, by the time I was, well, I, I went to my freshman year of college at Indiana Wesleyan University and, after that first year, I dropped out to pursue a record deal. And by the time I was 21, I was putting out my debut on, on a big Christian record label called Flickr Records, owned by Audio Adrenaline. And, uh, and I was on tour, touring the, touring the world by that fall. So, yeah. yeah. Jeez. That is like such a, a crazy arc of a story. You went from doing musicals to like being on a national stage and what's crazy is that like church is so full of music that I grew up with like every everybody in my sphere was a musician you know and everybody was like Mm, I don't know maybe we can maybe we can actually um contribute something to this this Jesus rock movement you know and I know people who spent so much time just just like writing songs or um, learning chord progressions and um, singing on stage and then getting absolutely nowhere with it. But you seem to just like tap into a vein that um, enabled you to do this thing that you loved. And um, I'm wondering if, I'm wondering if like Jesus and the Christian rock side of it was something that you were in love with or if it was just like you were just excited to be playing music in front of people and you could take or leave like the, the religiosity. Mm. Yeah. For me, it was both. I was very uh, attached to my faith, very totally all in on, on my, on my belief system. And I think there was oftentimes like, cause you know, before that, before I kind of got to the point where I was like, I don't know, I guess for some, to some degree, I, I guess like felt a, calling on my life to do ministry or something like that. And I, I think a lot of that was pr- probably just that, like, I love my youth pastor so much. And I thought he was so cool. Like, like so many kids that grow up in these, you know, youth groups with awesome youth pastors that I get to do that for a living. I thought, well, before, before I got to that point, I thought I, I wanted to move to LA and become an actor. And, oh. um, and so that's what I thought I was going to do with my life. And then, you know, by, <clears throat> by my senior year, I thought, oh no, maybe maybe I should go off to this Christian school and go into ministry and keep doing the music and you know maybe the music thing will happen and if not I could be a youth pastor. <laughs> you know yeah. I think that's really um, 
where, where, like, like, from, yeah, totally thinking I was going to be an actor to thinking, oh no, God needs me in ministry. And also feeling a lot of guilt, uh, about at this point, like thinking it was bad to drink alcohol, thinking it was bad to say, you know, a cuss word or, you know, like I, I really thought, you know, I was very into this, like, uh, do's and don'ts of of being a good christian and you know don't have sex till marriage uh you know like very you you did get um, married i did yeah and i I didn't have sex till marriage (laughs) and uh um yeah uh you know growing up in that culture obviously also thinking that it was a sin to be gay and feeling extremely extreme shame you know and I, I think about how much trauma this caused me for most of my life uh feeling so much shame about uh these feelings i had towards other guys and you know i'd always try to write it off and convince myself that it was just like a desire for uh healthy male intimacy that wasn't gay and um and i thought well you know if i could just find this sort of friendship like what i found in in the in the Bible with Jonathan and David and the, and the Hebrew scriptures in the old Testament, uh, wow. you know, I really fell in love with that passage of like, um, you know, right after David slays Goliath at the end of first Samuel 17, at the beginning of chapter 18, within the first few verses, it says that David moved in with the King and, uh, David and the King's son became one in spirit. And, uh, David took off his cloak and gave it to Jonathan. And, um, you know, like over these three chapters, this, it, it explains the, this like deep intimacy of, of these two guys. And I, um, you know, e- even so much as to after Jonathan passes, uh, after he dies, it says that, uh, jo- David says Jonathan's love was greater than that of women. And so, you know, like I found that so comforting that it said that clearly in the Bible, that it was okay to think that another guy's love was greater than women. And I didn't want to think of that as gay. Uh, and, you know, I'm not here to, like, have a theological debate whether Jonathan and David were gay or not. But, like, uh, whatever it was in their culture and their um, the way they wrote about their relationship, um, you know, that it talks about, you know, where they would kiss. And even if it wasn't romantic, just the fact that that happened, like, was like, Oh wow, you can do that, and yeah. um, it was a sign of a, a sign of affection, and that's okay. And then it's okay that David says his love was greater than women, and I just like I found so much comfort. And I always thought, honestly, uh, from the time I was a, a young teen till uh, a, a few years ago, I thought if if I could just find that, then maybe I would need to be gay. And um, and so yeah, I think I was always looking for that and my friendships and then just feeling like any of the, the sexual desire part that, that would come into my mind or, or any of the stuff that would excite me, I suppose, uh, was like a temptation from the devil and that wasn't from God. And, you know, uh, just, yeah, spending so much of my life and energy, uh, really trying to stuff all that down and pretend it wasn't there. Yeah. And, you were uh, it, grappling with like some, really big um, theological discussions and it sounds like all this was happening on the back burner of your life and as what I know about like back burner thoughts like that like really intense ones they come to just come full frontal when you're not paying attention 
And I'm wondering if, you know, like the, the stuff that you were thinking about in the back of your mind about like, um, I want to find uh, a Jonathan or a David. I um, also want to be, you know, a loving husband, whatever. Like at what point did, did that like smash together? At what point did you like make a mistake and just like, I don't know, like just, you know, hook up with a guy or kiss a guy or um yeah at what point did it like become messy? yeah um I think you know I think it probably poured out in different ways at different times you know the, the biggest thing and that that was for me was um you know like I said I signed this record deal when I was 21 years old or or, or yeah one and um, you know, all of a sudden I'm touring with a bunch of guys and I thought, man, like, this is great. This is what I've, I've desired this male intimacy my whole life. And, um, this will fulfill that desire I have to, to have these other guys in my Maybe. life. And, and it, uh, it, it didn't, it didn't, <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, I think it helped to a degree, like helped me maybe even stuff it down even more because, uh, you know, for any guy that's ever toured with a bunch of other guys or, or girls, um, you, there's this camaraderie that happens, uh, with, with bandmates that, um, casual intimacy. Yeah. And there's just like, there's gay jokes, you know, constantly. Right. And there's like, you know, guys cuddling, got the stories I heard from even other bands just blew my mind. And I thought, well, well, I guess that's not gay then. I guess know? there's a huge yeah. part of broiness that's also homoerotic. You know, like when I was in oh, totally. right when I was in high school, like the guys well, were just like the, there was like a whole um, men like guys dorm, and in that dorm, it was just like the stories yeah. that we would hear would just be like, "You guys did what?" And they're just and it was just a joke, and it was a, t- a line they were constantly trying to toe to see how close yeah, to. Well, the homo thing it, they could get it, without actually doing it. That whole, uh, that whole phrase that in every, uh, can of, ju- can, uh, can of jokes, there's an ounce of truth. And, uh, okay. you know, just this, the sense that I think, um, uh, man, you know, now that I like under, I, I've processed a lot of my own journey and understand a lot of more about, um, I don't know, just how sexuality works, I guess. And, Oh, uh, shoot. Sorry. Uh, it's all right. I, uh, I, uh, I think the more I understand about that, I, uh, sorry, I lost track for a second, yeah. but I, I was just going to say that, you know, I learned about the kin- the Kinsey scale and learning that there's a spectrum and realizing, oh my gosh, like so, so many guys are on a spectrum and they find ways to release that. And if you're not like completely gay, you don't ever have to deal with that part of yourself. It's easy to shove that aside or find ways to play into it and continue to live a heteronormative life. Right. And, um, I think because there's so much shame that's always been wrapped around same sex, uh, attraction and love, um, people have found different ways to release that without like really, uh, acknowledging, uh, that sexual attraction, like in in a real way. And so I think, uh, I really, really believe that, um, you know, the less shame that is attached and stigmatized to, um, 
same sex attraction. And, oh, sorry, I don't. I know that's trigger. That phrase is triggering for some oh. people. But as as you realize that, um, as you realize it's okay to love boys or girls or both or neither. Uh, the the more that people are open to that, and the less um, shame is attached to that, the more we're finding out from young people that uh, there's way more people on the spectrum than there are that extreme especially like, you know, being, you know, extremely straight. And, uh, and so like, I, you know, I saw this, um, uh, survey or, or whatever it was in in out magazine last year that said that, you know, there was this big study done with teenagers with thousands and thousands of teenagers, uh, from 12 to 18 and over, I think it was 52% said they were not completely straight and not all of them said they were completely gay, but, um, a lot of them just described themselves somewhere on the spectrum. And, uh, and I just thought, wow, that is so interesting. And I, I even remember like, uh, you know, when I was touring, especially in the early days, well, the whole time, but in the early <laughs> days, there was, uh, there was a bandmate who was like, okay, well, and he didn't even say if you had to have sex with another guy. He's like, if you could have sex with any other guy, if any with any guy, who would it be with? Wow! Everyone played along, like everybody knew about these things, and um, and these are all guys that you know married women and uh, would consider themselves straight. Yeah. But I'm just like, eh. <laughs> yeah. and I don't mean to call people out. I'm just saying, like, uh, I. I do think there's way more of a spectrum. How do you identify? <laughs> uh, I do identify as extremely gay. Uh, I, I have never been able to be sexually attracted to a girl. Um, I I want I wanted to be. I um, I always, you know, for so long in my life, I put all my faith into believing that I could choose to be straight and uh, that it was a choice and. Um, you know, always getting those messages sent to me through my family, through my church, through um, kind of evangelicalism, right? And uh, the broader movements of, of whether it was true love weights or um, in, in, any of uh, that kind of sexual purity culture was not just about saving sex for marriage. It was between one man and one woman uh, for, for life. And... Um, you know, I really had put all my faith into believing that was true. And so it also scared me because I didn't, you know, I remember praying from a very young age, please, God, don't let me be gay. And I didn't want to be gay. And I was scared that I would be an abomination if I was gay. And uh, I put all my faith and hope and belief into thinking that was possible. And so I, you know, I, I had a couple girlfriends uh, through, through, um, school i you know i guess i technically had a a girlfriend in sixth grade and you know we didn't dance in the dance and then we broke up and then eighth grade in the ninth grade the girl broke up with me i think because i would kiss her (laughs) and uh you know and then i dated a girl um you know at the end of my senior year of high school and uh into my freshman year of college and uh you know uh Never made out with any of these girls. Never wanted to. Uh, <laughs> never felt that uh, urge, <laughs> and and so it was easy for me to quote unquote stay pure, right? And yeah. uh, um, you know, and it was easy for me to finally convince myself that um, 
you know, God, God wouldn't be mad if I, if I jerked off or masturbated or whatever. And I thought that, um, well, as long as I don't think about anything, cause I didn't want to lust and, but the, yeah. you know, my lust was never about girls. It was always about guys. So it was like double shame. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I don't know at what point where I, I find, I don't know if that guilt ever went away. Um, yeah through those years but uh you know i would always try not to think of stuff and then i would start to and then i try to get myself to stop up and it's just very very uh traumatic I would do say. you but you know I, all that to say oh go ahead all that to say what all that to say i um you know found this girl when I was 25 and we grew up in the same church. She was five years younger than me though. She, she was 20 and she was home from college and, um, she was home from, for Christmas break and we're all hanging out at a friend from our church's house. And, you know, I really just loved hanging out with this girl. She made me laugh. Like we had a good time together. Um, and you know, I was this hopeless romantic that was always, even in my early twenties, I'd come home from tour and ask my mom, mom, what's it, what's it feel like to fall in love? Cause I just still did not, uh, understand what that was supposed to feel like. And I had yeah. done so much compartmentalizing in my head. I just think I was clueless and, mm -hmm. uh, I, I had no idea how to even try to understand that. And, um, and so I always wanted them to experience that. And I thought it had be with a woman um that you know that was quote unquote natural and god's plan for me and so i um you know this girl i thought well maybe she's somebody i could see myself like you know raising a family with this person and she's funny and we have a good time time together and um you know, uh, I was like, maybe this is what it's supposed to feel like. And I always heard, oh, it's not like in the movies. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, and, and when okay. you don't have anything else to base your experience off of, when you don't know, when I've never allowed myself to just completely fall head over heels for another man, I, you know, I can't relate this experience to another experience. Yeah. Right. And so I just thought, well, maybe this is supposed to be how it feels now. Several, you know, a long time later, I look back and I go, oh, well, yeah, like, gay people have, you know, best friends of the opposite sex all the time. That's like really normal. That does not mean yeah. you're sexually attracted to them or in love with them. And so, um, but I didn't know how to process it at that time. And so I just put all my faith, hope and trust into believing that God would bless me if I, if I waited till marriage to, to do anything and we didn't even make out because that, that would lead to something else. You were in it. Apparently it wouldn't have, but <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, yeah. And, and, and she, and she was too, you know, she grew up in that same sexual purity culture. She had the purity ring that her dad gave her as a teenager and uh, yeah, pretty, pretty weird stuff. And uh, yeah. you know, uh, and, and obviously he was doing his best. Uh, he was trying to raise his daughter. Right. And, uh, and so my parents were trying to raise me right. And uh, sometimes unintentionally uh, we ended up doing really hurtful things where we cluelessly went into this marriage thinking this was all just going to magically work. And uh, of course, you know, I was never able to tell her about my, my sexual attractions to other guys. Uh, I felt so much shame. I never told anyone about that. I just, I, uh, yeah. So I know I have like taken three years to get to your question, but uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I all of a sudden, you know, you were asking 
how did this kind of blow up into mm-hmm. me um, and not not finding that that intimacy that whatever which I did not you know I, I went into this marriage and I realized very quickly where my mind would even have to go to try to perform for her and I felt I felt a lot of shame about that but I also felt like uh, that was better than not being what she needed me to be and so like it was very awful and and torturous and yeah. and I, it, it took me a long time to realize that it was just as torturous for her uh yeah. but we just it was one of those taboo things that we never could talk about and um you know all the while i'm i'm touring i'm you know yeah. uh out with my bandmates and you know i i definitely like uh would at times like find myself attached to other guys and desire that david and jonathan type friendship but i never thought of it as gay i never was like trying to hook up with any of these guys but i i will say like you know, as I look back, like, especially, um, there was, there was one relationship, uh, looking back that, um, I never wanted to think of that as gay. Uh, and I, I, neither, I don't think either of us did. Uh, but as I look back, I'm like, oh, wow. Like it was very gay. (laughs) And, um, and, uh, you know, I, I, we never got to the point of like trying to hook up or have sex with each other, but it was very, intimate and uh, as I look back yeah I mean it's sensual in a lot of ways and not purposely and I felt like oh as long as I don't do this uh, you know I'm not gay and did you ever uh, like uh, kiss that person and, or like hold their hand or anything yeah he was a, he, he uh, he, uh, yeah he was the first guy that ever kissed me on the lips as a joke you know as a <laughs> quote unquote joke and it's a joke until uh, you're that, making out that's <laughs> not a joke Sure. Well, maybe, I don't know. I think, you know, at first it was like uh, a joke in front of somebody else. And then, you know, it was this ongoing joke for like two years and, uh, for two years, you know, it was just, yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, you know, uh, in a lot of ways, didn't Um, count if it was a dude, right. It didn't count against totally. Yeah. I didn't feel like it was marriage vows. I was was like, Oh, I'm not doing anything. Exactly. And, um, and as long as we're not like trying to get each other off or something like that, then yeah. it's not gay. Right. And, yeah. um, uh, but, uh, uh, yeah. And that, you know, until, um, you know, I, 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 I don't want to divulge, uh, yeah, don't do that. Just <laughs> maybe too, too, too much right now. But I, I would just say that I got to this point where, um, my wife, she knew how close I was to this person and she was very close to this person too. And, um, but it was still like, you know, I, I do, I do wonder if she ever thought that, uh, you know, that there was anything gay about, uh, yeah. our, our friendship. Uh, but you know, it was just, yeah, it was very taboo and difficult to, uh, talk about I'm sorry. You know, our own failures. I'm and, sorry uh, about that. Oh, did, well, th- did th- it, thank you. You did know, you... it's a shame that it happens to anyone, but there's so much shame wrapped up in this whole thing that, that leads to that that lack of talking about things have right? you been angry about that at all just like sure and how have you healed from that anger if you have it all i don't know yeah no i have you know i i definitely uh had a lot to grieve when i came out and so it sort of bubbled to this point of like you know seven years in our marriage uh, i'm still hoping the same things are going to get better that i was hoping the first week of our marriage when it mm. came to our intimacy and um yeah, seven years and two kids in. Um, it took a lot to get to the point where 
she finally asked me for the first time if I was gay. Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't by her own prompting. It was uh, by, by someone else saying they thought I might be gay and probably trying to push down their own uh, fear mm -hmm. uh, of, of, of themselves. And um, again, not to divulge too much information, but just to say we were forced to ask ask this, this question. question. And yeah. I was at this point in my life where I thought I was doing whatever it took to be what she needed me to be. And I was all of a sudden realizing, oh, I'm never going to be what she needs me to be. And, and not only is it destroying me, it's destroying her too. And, uh, you know, if, if I say, no, I'm not gay, which I've never been able to admit out loud to anyone that yeah. I feel these feelings. Right. And so if I admit this right now, I don't even know how to do that. I don't, I, I didn't know how for that word to come out of my mouth. And I felt like I would be abandoning uh, my wife. And uh, I felt like, uh, you know, I would be losing my family the way I knew it, you know? Uh, and that's scary. It, you know, whether you're straight or gay or whatever it is, if all of a sudden you're not going to be in the same home as your kids, uh, every night, uh, when you're, you're home from tour, that, that is not something anyone wants. Yeah. And so, so, but I also knew that if I said, no, I'm not gay in that moment, I felt like my whole world was crumbling. I thought, man, you know, if I say no and push this down, it's going to make everything worse. And I just thought in that, in that moment that, that maybe this is my chance to finally be set free. And so all I knew how to say in that moment was, I don't know, but I think I need to get help. And, uh, and so, um, and so I did. And, uh, at first somebody wanted us to reach out to like a Christian counselor, like, I didn't know if they were going to try to get me reparative therapy or what, but like at, at, at that point I had been touring my whole adult life for like 14 years. And, um, I'd really progressed in my journey when it came to my faith and how I thought about it. Um, Rob Bell, who was my favorite author kind of came into my life and became yeah. a mentor of mine. And I really just, I didn't think it was a sin to be gay anymore, but it just still had never felt like an option for myself. And, and, and neither did my wife, honestly. Uh, and, uh, both of our families do and did. And, uh, and so, uh, it was just, it was one of those things that I knew when I was facing this, that if I really, I decide to get help, um, there is zero chance I, I'm going to feel ashamed about uh, being gay. I felt a lot of shame about other things like hurting my wife and, and what, but what she was having to go through. And I felt so much pain over that. Uh, and, and, and my kids, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, I was so torn at the time, like thinking, Oh, well, their kid, our kids need uh, to see their parents together and, and in love, but we weren't, you know? And, yeah. um, <clears throat> it, it took me to that point to finally realize that, um, as wonderful as it is to get to grow up in a home with both your parents, what's way more important is to grow up with your parents being their best, healthiest, truest selves. Amen. And and if and if if you if you grow up and your parents aren't doing that, that sends you as a child messages that it's not okay for you to be your best, healthiest, truest self, right? And so, um, you know, I've learned through a you know a very difficult process of 
going, Oh yeah. Like, man, like I'm, you know, I've been out now to myself and my family for, uh, four years this month. Uh, I came out four years ago to myself and my family. And, uh, and then I came out publicly, um, three years ago and, uh, or not, you know, a little over three years ago. And so, um, yeah, I, I think, oh my gosh, where my, where my mental health is now, um, how I, how I, just my relationship with uh, myself, with my kids, with everything, how much healthier it is, how much more peace I feel, how much more joy I feel, how, how I feel this freedom I never even knew it was possible to feel. And so, um, you know, when that, when that all hit the fan, and I was kind of going through this process of getting counseling and, um, you know, I found a counselor who, you know, uh, was not going to try to change me. And, uh, and through that, I, I, um, well, I first called a pastor friend that I knew was affirming. Uh, do you know who Jonathan Martin is by any chance? Uh, he's an author and a podcast host, uh, really neat guy. He, uh, used to, he used to pastor, he pastors a a church in Oklahoma city now, but he used to pastor kind of a, somewhat of a mega church down in Charlotte, uh, for a long time. But he, uh, he wrote this book called shipwrecked, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of about your life falling apart. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and he had shared some really beautiful personal stuff with me, uh, before I had, my life had hit the fan and just like some really hard things he had gone through. Uh, and, um, I don't know. I think I, when I was coming out, I, did not know who to talk to. I was scared to talk to people I felt too close to because I thought they'd be angry at me uh, or I was scared. What if they are? And, um, I don't know. He felt like somebody that like I felt connected to, but not too close to that. Like, uh, so I, I called him and started actually telling him a bunch of the stuff that I'm telling you now. And after, I don't know, an hour and a half for the first time in my life, I said out loud, I said, I think I might be gay. And I just started crying and crying and mm. and i you know i promise you from september 28 2015 when my life hit the fan to the end of that year uh for that three months i bet you there was not five days that i did not com- just completely bawl my eyes out yeah. i was had so much to grieve and um you know none of it was shame for being gay there was like there was sadness that it took me so long to accept myself there was mm. sadness of that, you know, what what my wife was going through, and and there was like this uh, sadness that I, because I knew, and uh, not knowing what the other side is going to look like, yeah. and uh, all of that, and so I think I had to allow myself to grieve, you know, I had to, um, I had to. One one thing that one thing that Rob Bell really helped me with was um, was was constantly, uh, teaching me that, uh, you cannot go around the pain. You can't skip around the grieving process. Like you have to really allow yourself to grieve, to find the light on the other side, to find the to peace on the other side. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so I don't think I tried to skip that. I tried to really take every ounce of it in that, which at times felt unbearable. It felt like, how am I going to survive? And I, I, you know, I don't think I ever seriously contemplated suicide, uh, but I had never even had those thoughts cross my mind before this happened. Yeah. And all of a sudden, 
there were moments where I thought, oh my gosh, I just would rather not be alive. And the fact that I even thought that scared me and yeah. uh, just would make me cry even more. And, you know, so um, I'm I, so, I'm so, oh, go ahead. I feel like your, your journey resonates so well with me because I know how dark it gets when you're realizing that there's things to grieve and you don't measure up because you don't fit that mold and um, all of that. But I think what's beautiful is to know that you were able to reconcile your faith with who you were before you came out, which is so different from most yeah. people. And on this side of everything, you are um, a father of two. You are uh, yes. an out gay proud man. Um, and you're still con continuing to do music in this really contentious Christian space. And I don't know if you identify as like a Christian musician anymore or if your music is more inspirational. I don't. But, okay. Mm. Yeah. But, um, but your, does your faith still inform your music? I mean, because Hey Jesus is a great song. I mean, it's fantastic. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's Thank Christian you. music. Right? Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know, honestly, I don't even believe in the term Christian music anymore. Mm. Uh, okay, contemporary Christian. I, uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I'm not, I, I, I hate that label. And because I think, for a lot of reasons, I think Christian makes a much better noun to describe a human being than it does an adjective to describe, mm. like, a style of music or um, a restaurant or, mm -hmm. or a movie. Yeah. Um, Game yeah, music, and Christian so like music. anytime I got you, yeah. Anytime people attach uh, Christian to something that's not a person, I get very skeptical very quick because usually it sounds like a sales pitch, like oh, you got to check out this Christian song, this Christian artist, mm. and and then there all of a sudden there's this um, expectation of that uh, of that artist putting out that art to go, oh, well, you know, I'm expected to write about this, or um, I'm expected to uh, have this certain viewpoint about this. And um, and that is what has fed an entire industry. And, um, and you find out that um, the least vulnerable genre of music that exists is Christian music. And the reason why is because it's it's not all about complete uh, honesty and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It's about saying the right things and um, mm -hmm. and painting the right picture. And uh, I just think it's really unhealthy. And so I cool. I just you know I yes does uh, my faith and my my hope in my faith. Uh, I mean that's just like it's always going to be a huge part of who I am, no matter what day it is and what I happen to believe more so than the next day. Right? Uh, mm -hmm. That stuff is always going to be this huge part of me and um i mean it's been this part of me my whole life and so it, i would feel dishonest to to not um go there with my feelings and a way that i go to my feelings uh in a huge way is through my art and through my mu music and so um because i got so influenced by christian rock music i before i even understood why i was drawn to certain artists um I, I look back and I realize, oh, it was the, it was like the kind of quote, you know, kind of edgy or quote unquote edgy art Christian artist that, um, that didn't write every song as a worship song or a, yeah. or a ver vertical like song about, 
thought or, or their beliefs or whatever. It was people that wrote about life and, and faith was a part of it. And, and I think that's why mm. so many Christians that have wanted something deeper that were in that world have even found themselves more drawn to artists like, say, like a U2 or, or, or Coldplay or The Killers, or at least in, in my world, that, that, that was very common. Sixpence uh, on the richer. So much more genuine. <laughs> yeah, and it felt more genuine sometimes than uh, than the uh, um, adult contemporary Christian station that you would hear in your town because yeah. that stuff all felt felt the same and it felt generic and it feels generic for a reason because these people are trying to write what they think uh, the evangelical world supports that wants to hear and that's that's and and they and don't get me wrong a lot of these people do believe that or want to believe that or try to convince themselves of that but they know what's going to sell and they know who they're writing to yeah. and there is no doubt about that in the industry behind the scenes and i love how you say that at least though. a lot of because i feel like i i've been trying to put my finger on this for a while just like you know yeah. i've been in this deconstructing phase and i still have you know really strong feelings for some of the music that i grew up listening to the jesus rock the switchfoot and you know yeah. <laughs> you know casting crowns but um sure but in my adulthood i still use music as a way to meditate so and to to pray and to find my center and to to tell my truth mm. when I'm, you know with god and yeah. I, I can't quite put my f finger on why some music really, some Christian music like really gets me and like some inspirational quote unquote music is just like even better, you know, and you mm. nail on the head when you say that, you know, Christian music or, you know, Christian is, is uh, not, it's a noun, it's not an adjective. Like I... Fucking yeah. love that, um, and your well, story, and, and it, your story, oh, your story has been broadcasted because you did have this platform with your music, and um, it seems like right now you've been able to be kind of a shepherd for many other individuals who are in that like really vulnerable state mm. that you were talking about. Um, and what's what is some of the? I know that you have a, a Facebook group that. Um, and that you guys are actually having a meeting pretty soon. Like, what's all that about? Yeah, yeah. So, well, just the last thing I'll say about yeah. kind of the Christian music thing is just, well, for example, like there's so many people that get burned out and just leave the whole thing. And then there's so many other people that stay in it for a lifetime. And you find out there's all this stuff that goes on behind closed doors that is that is hidden and it's secretive and it's, it's you know, quote unquote, unquote bad and it's because these people are scared to be vulnerable with their fans and they don't want you to see how, how they really and you can't really share your ups and downs your beliefs and your doubts because that uh is not accepted in that genre and, and um and i just you know you see how unhealthy that is and you look at somebody like katie perry who was on a christian record label as katie hudson and um a pastor's kid and um kind of rebel well i don't want to even say she was consciously trying to rebel she just didn't feel like she connected in that world didn't feel like she could be her real self and all of a sudden she goes to a mainstream label where she's allowed to be as vulnerable as she wants and i think she's had a career since then where as katie perry where she's been able to able to be be her 
and the inspirational side and the deeper side and the fun and crazy side. And all of that was okay. And that is just not okay. And, and the constant stuff you hear about behind closed doors in the Christian music industry is toxic and it's bad. And I think it, you know, in the same way as in the church, hiding things and secret stuff is very, very unhealthy. Uh, it's the exact same in that industry. And it just drives me crazy. But um, yeah, so I am very thankful yeah. to, I don't know, to just not feel the pressure of being in that world anymore. And, um, and yeah, so in, in, in these last few years I've come out, I, I, I started this Facebook group. Uh, I was getting so many messages from people, uh, online, uh, just sharing their journeys back with me. And, uh, it's been really beautiful, but a, a lot of times I've found that it's just like so much that I don't have enough time in the day to go through every one of these messages. And, um, obviously these people, um, feel this connection and I feel a connection as I read them. I found it really beautiful, but I just thought, well, what if there's this space where, um, people,